Welcome to another episode of the Walk on Red Shirts podcast. As always, I am your host, Aaron, and with me, my co-host, Jake and intern Gibble. Uh, This is the same intern who uh, hasn't been putting out um, little graphics for our top fives and fantasy drafts recently, apparently. Uh, That is what I've heard. Uh, So, Gibble, would you like to inform everybody why you haven't been doing your job? Um, Well, you see, I just didn't have the time. That's bull. That's really that's really it. That's bull. And I'm also a very forgetful person. That's 100% accurate. <laughs> Too busy listening to the Joe Bros and watching his Disney Channel original movies and that's Disney why you Plus couldn't do it. There are a lot huh? of options. <laughs> uh, that's true. There are a lot of options on Disney Plus. Uh, I imagine that's what's been taking up most of your time. Uh, Some of it. <laughs> oh, just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what else has been taking up your time? Well, I watched I watched the show Altered Carbon. That thing really messes with your brain. But mm. it's a really good show. Good to know not to watch it. Yeah. You know what else messes with your brain? What? Drugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> dog food. <laughs> uh, maybe that's it. That's the whole reason. I ate, I ate the dog food the one time. You actually ate dog yeah. ice cream, not dog food. But we can have oh, you eat I dog food. No, no thanks. Good with the ice cream. <laughs> you know his family's going to London Some... in like a month? Uh, are you going with? Oh, yeah. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Going across the pond, Yep. as they say. Uh, actually, uh, are you guys still going to go if you're not allowed over there? Oh, yeah. What about coronavirus? Are you scared to go? <laughs> no. My parents don't think it's uh, a super huge issue. I mean, it's mm. comparable to the flu, so... And the flu is worse than coronavirus statistically, so Ooh, not super concerned. Real quick, I usually would save this for the end, but I saw this poll posted the other day. Would you get coronavirus for your team to win a national championship this yep. year? Um, <laughs> I'd get a lot of different diseases to get Miami <laughs> to win a national championship. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I'm 27. I'm pretty healthy. Like, there's a really good chance I'm going to survive this. Like, I'll get coronavirus to see Ohio State win another <laughs> national championship." Yeah, I mean, yep. it's one of those things that, like, I feel like if I got it, like, I'd be okay. But like at the same time, there's, you know, your body pretty much just has to process it on its own. There's not really anything out there to help with it. So, I get to miss really, like two weeks of work. It's awesome. You're playing. You're playing risk. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would definitely do it at this point. Uh, I'd do it just to win ten games again. To be honest with you. <laughs> just get me to the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I mean, just uh, and and to win the bowl game too, because like it's disappointing when you get smacked by Wisconsin in your home stadium. Uh, yeah, we'll let you play games. Wisconsin again, and Danny Davis will go off for like three more touchdowns, and Jack Cohn's yeah. gonna look like a Heisman winner. That son of a bitch, Alex Hornibrook, man, <laughs> just <laughs> the worst. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, what's up with you guys? It's been two weeks since we last came. This week. Uh, we're doing upsets. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later on. We're actually going to dive into creating our all-time team starting our next episode. That'll get us through to June for you folks. Uh, and we'll post on the Twitter how we're going to actually fully break that down. I'm not going to go into long-term explanations here. Um, but uh, how are you guys? How was your research on the upsets? Uh, well, 
mine didn't take that long. It was more of just kind of reminding myself of some of them that had happened. Like one of them that's uh, I'll just mention. I don't want to mention the Texas Tech Texas game didn't make my list, but it, it was technically an upset and it was a really good game. And you know, for Texas Tech, it was a program changer. It was not. Until it was fun. To kind coach of a couple years later. Yeah, I know exactly who now is <laughs> in Mississippi State. Who's like almost the uh, Texas Tech of the big of uh, the SEC? I base and he was just at Washington State, which is who's also I mean, the Texas Tech of the Pac-12. He's just, uh, I mean, Mike Leach. You got to respect that the guy just jumps from a mid, uh, a power conference mid team to a power conference mid team just uh, over and over and over again. Uh, you think so when Kirk Ferentz leaves, he's Pac- going to go to Iowa? Uh, no, uh, but boy, do I think Indiana is a great place for Mike Leach to go. <laughs> that, and then, you know, only, he's only bound to end up at like Virginia or NC State. Actually, you know who he'd be perfect with in the Big Ten? Who? Right along, t- as soon as he, as soon as they fire their new head coach, uh, Mel Tucker, Michigan State, would be yep. perfect. Yep, because that's what they we recruit, mean in the Big Ten East. <laughs> they recruit, <laughs> yeah, they recruit the exact spot that everybody else does in terms of like in that thirty to forty range. Uh, it's perfect for Mike Leach. Like that's that's the place is Michigan State, and then finally he can work his way over to the ACC, where he'll be a powerhouse head coach at I don't know, like Pitt. Yeah, Pitt sounds about right. Gonna, Narduzzi's got to leave at some point. Um, that that's that's a good spot, and it's a panther, so it's a strong, a strong animal that he can that represents. So yeah, it works perfectly. Imagine him going through the ACC mascots and talking about Syracuse. Oh boy, uh, I as long as he praises it because it is a great, fantastic mascot. Uh, drafted sure in the was... first round of our draft, yeah, I believe. If not the first, the second. Yeah, it was an early pick by, I think, you, Gibble? I'm pretty sure I picked him. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, Gibble, why don't you go ahead and uh, break down what uh, very good news we have for the upcoming uh, week here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really not great. It's, uh, it's the offseason. <laughs> There's not a whole lot going on here. We're running dry, folks. We're running dry. We're trying. Um well, they did announce a new bowl game to add to the 2020 slate for this year. Thank uh, God. The, <laughs> the LA Only bowl 85 at, bowl games now. Right, because we needed more. But uh, they're going to be playing the LA Bowl. Guess where? Los Angeles. Uh, the new SoFi Stadium, uh, home of the Rams and Chargers, is going to have it or to host it. Um, it's going to pit the Mountain West's number one team against the Pac-12's number five team, uh, and it's going to be sponsored by SoFi until uh, 2025. Um, so that, that's going to be another thrilling matchup in the bowl season. Um, Can't wait to watch the Mountain West winner the... versus Oregon State. Yeah, uh, Oregon State is the five seed, I wish. Yeah, in uh, two years, Jonathan Smith. Team. Man, maybe I proje- I'm projecting right now it's going to be Wyoming versus Washington. Awesome. Let's all Can't get wait. our let's all put our let's all put our SoFi predictions on the table right now. 
Okay, then my official prediction is Nevada versus Cal. Okay. Oh, no. Um, that seems like a good idea. Do you even know who's in the Mountain West, Gibble? No, I mean, not off the top of my head. Boise State. They'll play. They are in the Mountain West. Somebody good. Uh, let's say Arizona. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> all right. So we all we got our SoFi Bowl predictions for the Lock them in. Stadium. Nevada, <laughs> Cal, Wyoming, Washington, and Boise State, Arizona. Sure. <laughs> that's I like that's good. The best. I like Gibble. Eh, I, I mean, yeah, because he's the one that picked Boise State, which yeah. feels like the obvious one. Um, but I think I like my Pac-12 one better than you guys'. I feel like Washington's going to be right in that five range. I think Cal might be too good to finish five, and Arizona sucks. So Arizona's <laughs> really bad. <laughs> I can don't I put add a lot state of state onto it. Can I? Can I add? Nope, no, you've already, no, you you've can't already submitted it. And also, Arizona State's going to win the Pac-12 this year, so that's That's also a bad pick. Everything's been written in stone. You can't change this pick at this point. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) I I have chalked it up. We will put it on the Twitter account at some point. All right. Um, I hope that comes out true. It'd be wild. It won't. (laughs) (laughs) You don't win anything if you do. You are locked in as an intern at this point. You get to pay us if you're right. No. (laughs) (laughs) If you get this correct, you have to eat another dog ice cream. (laughs) Subscribe. Not a good reward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, we'll keep going. All right, um, moving on to Kansas State. Uh, they had a, just a bunch of players who were arrested over the weekend. I think five of them in total. Um, two of them were for marijuana possession. Uh, then there was one that had an outstanding warrant to who failed to show proof of insurance. Uh, and then two others were uh, arrested under the suspicion of driving under the influence of alcohol. Um, can't imagine anybody knows any Kansas State players, so I won't bore you with all of their names. But five players getting arrested out of the same school feels like they have a, a little bit of a disciplinary issue going on there. So they just kind of need to get their players in check. Um, all right, moving over to Ohio State. Uh Unfortunately, Master Teague, running back, uh, suffered an Achilles injury in practice this past week, uh, so he's going to be sidelined for the rest of the spring. Um, if it's a tear in the Achilles tendon, he will more than likely miss the regular season, uh, but they have not released yet what the extent of the injury is, so hopefully for Ohio State, it's not awful. Um I mean, they do still have Marcus Crawley and Steel Chambers backing him up, and they brought in uh, Mayan Williams this year. Uh, he's one of their. He's a three-star recruit for the Buckeyes. Um, so we'll see what what happens with Master T. But that is going to be kind of a big loss since he was supposed to take over for J.K. Dobbins after last season. There is um, one healthy scholarship running back playing at Ohio State right now because Marcus Crowley did something to her something in his leg in the fall so he's out for spring practice as well and Maya Williams isn't enrolling until the summer so Steel Chambers is the only one that's healthy so they need to do everything they can to like avoid any contact with him right now he gets the uh, Justin Fields treatment from last year if you are about to hit him just don't run away turn around please tear your own ACL (laughs) (laughs) Master Teague and Steel Chambers amazing right yeah great great names. names 
So I'd expect them to potentially look to pick somebody up in the portal for, honestly, depth, just to help with the depth at running back, uh, especially because there's a chance Master Teague comes back. Nobody knows exactly what he did. They don't know if it's a strain or if it's a complete tear, but it sounds like the recovery time is anywhere from six to eight months. If it's six, it puts him back around the first week. doesn't mean he's in football condition. It just means he might get cleared to play at that point. Eight months, you know, you're talking – you know, almost Thanksgiving at that point. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go and add somebody just for depth to give themselves a little bit more wiggle room in case of any injuries because running back, obviously, they get banged up. Yep. So we'll see how that one plays out here. Um, down in Alabama, three, uh, ESPN 300 quarterback Drake May decided to flip his commitment from Alabama to the University of North Carolina. Uh, that happened on Friday. He was the number 45 uh, ranked prospect overall and uh, in the 2021 class and the fourth ranked recruit in the state of North Carolina. So that's kind of a big get for uh, UNC uh, to have him backing up Sam Howell in the future. Um, that looks like they're pretty set at quarterback for a little while here. Yeah, um, Sam Sam Howell will be a sophomore this year, junior when uh, May enrolls. So I think he saw the writing on the wall that Howell could potentially leave after three years. You know, even if he's there mm-hmm. four, he could get some early playing time. Meanwhile, Alabama just brought another five-star quarterback in last year. Yeah, because when don't they bring in a five-star quarterback? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so... Moving back into Ohio State, uh, Ohio State and Michigan are both kind of facing the same um, issues right now. Both have doctors who were there back in the 1900s who uh, they were there for like two or three decades each at each school um, that were both facing abuse allegations. Um, Ohio State is in the process of wrapping up the settlement for uh, their cases while Michigan it's just starting the process for them. Um, so in both cases, there was uh, abuse to men and women from the uh, football teams, hockey teams. Um, in Ohio State, there's a lot more of the programs, but uh, so far for Michigan, just people, just players from the uh, hockey teams and football teams were the ones that came out about it so far. Um, so we'll see how those play out. Um, Obviously, both are awful situations, and I, it still baffles me how anything like that goes on for so long. But I guess we're also talking about a different era. So in this era, that's going to come out a heck of a lot quicker than it would in the past. So we'll see how that plays out for Michigan. But at least Ohio State's in the process of settling it all. Um, so we also have some potential rule changes this year for college football. Uh, which I'm kind of excited about. The first one being the instant replay might have a two-minute limit on it instead of just an undetermined amount of time. So that would kind of speed up the uh, decision process there. Uh, If you can't find an obvious reason to overturn a call, that means that you have to just leave it as the call stands. Um, Because if it's not obvious after two minutes, that is... a bit absurd um i understand at some points you have to kind of figure out where the ball is placed and the timing on the clock so that kind of is its own thing but if you can't figure out 
whether the call itself should stand after two minutes. I feel like that that's something that clearly needs to be sped up. I, I don't know if you guys disagree with that, but that one feels like a pretty clear uh, need for a change to me. Um, another proposed rule is that the officials are going to be uh, required on the field 90 minutes before the start of the game rather than 60 as it was before. Um, we had a few kind of uh, scrums and scraps on the fields before the games this past season. Uh, so they want to make sure that the refs are able to take action on those. Um, say a player punches another player in the face, you probably shouldn't be playing in the game following that. So the refs will then be able to enforce uh, like a disqualification from the game for those players. Um, along with that, the proposal would call for a coach to be on the field during the warmups uh, to also help with issues like that. Um, and all the players on the field during that time, during the warmups, would be uh, required to be identified by number, so they'd have to have their number on them somewhere. Um, speaking of numbers, Players might also be able to wear the number zero this coming year, so that's a fun new rule. I'm interested to see who uh, will decide to wear zero. Uh, I want my last, left guard wearing uh, number zero. I mean, that'd be great. Uh, the last potential rule tweak is uh, for the targeting rule. Um, if the rule is approved, uh, players flagged for, flagged for targeting would remain disqualified, but instead of being ejected and required to head to the locker room, they would be allowed to stay on the field with their teammates, just not allowed back in the game. Um, all other aspects of the rule would remain the same. I'm not huge on that one. I feel like, I've, I think we've said this before, but I think it needs to be more like the flagrant foul type rule in college basketball or in basketball in general, where the first one is a flagrant one. It's not a disqualification for the targeting um and then a second instance of targeting would re result in a disqualification i don't know if that's just me but i think a lot I of people agree on it but the way they did this rule for targeting or at least was proposed it's a lot of people are screaming we need to make changes to targeting and the ncaa goes what if we allow them to stay on the field instead of making them go to the locker room that's a change to targeting and everybody's just looked at him and goes what are you talking about yeah that one's not it doesn't feel like there's really anything to it there's no actual substance like yeah you can have a leader get disqualified for targeting and be able to stay on the field and they can still help influence from that standpoint but you can't replace their exact talent i mean unless you're alabama no but i think one of the things is so after the clemson game with ohio state uh there was an interview i believe it was a sean way or sean way's dad where he said it felt like he was being treated like a criminal because you know, he's getting run off into the locker room and then he has to sit in the locker room by himself because nobody's there. Like, he can't yeah. do anything. He, he has to watch the game on a television or on his phone from that point yeah. on. So I think it's good to allow them to stay on the sidelines, but it's like, that's really all you're going to do. Yeah. I think in terms of letting him on the sideline, I don't mind that i think they should have to like they should like be i think they should still be led to the locker room and maybe be allowed to like change and then come back out um 
Because I could, I could see an issue. You have so many kids uh, in uniform and stuff like that that you just never know. Uh, oh yeah, I think you should be required to take your pads um, off for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I have no problem with that. I mean, especially you know, it happens early on in a the game. Then you're sitting there for you know, outside of halftime, you're sitting in the the locker room for a couple hours by yourself. But yeah, I think they should still be allowed on the field. I think they should just have to like go take at least their shoulder pads and stuff off, and then come back out. Um, yeah, it's not like you punch somebody in the, the face. Because yeah, I mean that's it's stupid that you have to go and sit in the locker room for for however based on a judgment call made by a referee. Um, uh, and outside of that, the the two minute limit uh, with video replay, can we just uh, can everybody just switch to the XFL Sky Judge shit like and just get this shit wrapped up very fast? Um, oh yeah, that was very and, nice watching that. Instead of this hokey pokey bullshit, I mean it's it's 2020, folks. Like let's let's speed the game up a tad here. Uh, instead of taking 10 minutes to decide whether or not you think something is um, a catch, a touchdown, whatever. Uh, so outside of that, uh, players being able to wear zero, sure, why not? Uh, I don't. I mean, you, you they should be allowed to do double zero. That's yeah. Have doubles. Who gives a shit at this point? Have Zero seven, zero eight, zero nine. Like who cares? It's still a number. Who can we get to the triple digits yet? No, Damn. God. The day we start using triple digits on jerseys is the day I stop watching sports. <laughs> you know when somebody just wearing a hundred? I have a guy in my rec league who wears a hundred and sixty nine. I would <laughs> toss him out immediately. <laughs> Every game, <laughs> you're gone. It's funny watching the refs come over to me and goes, "Foul, one hundred and sixty-nine." Outside of that, I don't really have anything else. Obviously, I agree with uh, targeting stuff uh, should get changed. Um, and the on-field before kickoff thing, uh, sure, why not? Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Honestly, I don't think we're going to see too much actual change from that. It's just going to be, I think there was like one game last year where players punched each other and well, you had the like you had the Lynn, yeah you had the Lynn Bowden uh, versus Virginia Tech in the bowl game uh, one. Um, yeah. But yeah, outside of that, there's not a whole lot. Uh, not a whole lot of times that there's a, a big incident. Guys might talk to each other or talk shit, but very rarely are there like fights or anything. So. Yeah. It's usually jumping um, at the middle of the field. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's pretty much just during, like, rivalry rivalry week where you're going to see that the most. I, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's when everybody hates each other the most, so. Yeah. Yeah, but I hate you every week. Well, yeah. I These don't are think awesome that's facts. a secret. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, we'll um, move on. Moving on yep, to. Let's go. Uh. Scott Cochran, the former strength and conditioning coach at Alabama, has now become the special teams coach for Georgia. Um, He was kind of one of the more impactful people behind the scenes for Alabama and had kind of been there forever. So this one uh, kind of seems like it's a shock to most people and kind of out of the blue. Um, I know there was like a little bit of frustration boiling up between, I think, Nick Saban and himself. Uh, so I think that's probably part of why he left. Um, and we also have J.D. Spielman. Uh, Nebraska wide receiver is going to be taking a leave of absence from the football team. 
Um, he's not expected to take part in spring practices. Nobody's sure exactly when he's going to come back or if. Um, there also have been rumors that he might transfer, uh, could potentially leave for Minnesota, just because his dad is the GM of the Vikings. So it's about you it. You going to credit me with that one or no? Yeah, thanks, Jake, for uh, pointing that out when that went out to me. Since you Especially had no the, idea. Uh, Minnesota GM part. <laughs> yeah, because I did not know that one. This is a team effort over here, right? I'll take the assists from you guys on news. Um, you pretty much assist us. I mean, that's what interns do, right? Barely. <laughs> I do things. Okay. C for effort. <laughs> Perfect. C's get degrees, so I'll take it. It's the story of your life. <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah. All right, moving over into uh, a little bit of coaching news. Um, we had Dan Enos, former uh, Miami offensive coordinator, is going to become the running backs coach for Cincinnati. How much do you love this move, Folsom? I honestly, I, I didn't think about it until just before we talked about it here. I don't know if there's a more like match made in heaven here um, because I said it multiple times on this podcast last year. Cincinnati is boring as shit to watch. Um, good team, but boring as all hell. And now they get Dan Enos, who obviously not an offensive coordinator there, but also it works perfectly because his offensive scheme was boring as hell. So it's a match made in heaven. Um, probably just, you know... Hand the ball off 10,000 times. Their running back will probably average 2.5 uh, yards a carry under him. That's what I imagine Cincinnati. And Cincinnati will like still win year. 10 games. Probably, yeah, because they play good defense. But, God, their <laughs> offense is so boring. So, yeah, uh, good for Cincinnati, good for Enos, uh, whatever. You're out. Go do your thing. Talk about a step Somewhere down. Else. Power 5 offensive coordinator to group of five running back coach. Yep. Notice how long he didn't have a job, too. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprising. (laughs) All right, so our only other coaching move from this past week that was of real note here, uh, Jay Norvell signed a new five-year contract with Nevada. Uh, He's coming off back-to-back winning seasons and consecutive bowl appearances after starting three and nine in his first season with them. Uh, So obviously he's done some good things for Nevada. And they expect him to continue that. Um, yeah, he uh, good for him. Earned it after beating Purdue. Earned it a little less after uh, giving up a thousand points to Oregon. Um, but yeah, good for Nevada. Oregon's still scoring points. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right, moving over into the transfer portal here. Um, Miami tight end. Michael Irvin II is going to be entering the transfer portal. Uh, He's kind of struggled to find playing time since his arrival in 2016. Uh, He's dealt with some injuries, some disciplinary issues, and kind of adjusting from switching to wide receiver to tight end. I also read that he was not doing great with trying to follow in his dad's footsteps. So, I mean, when you're kind of working with that pressure, that can be a lot, and feels like it just kind of wasn't he wasn't quite able to step up to the task there um Folsom how do you feel about that one 
Um, you know, attrition always sucks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he wasn't a, a highly touted recruit or anything either. So, I mean, it stinks. Uh, good luck to him. Uh, but Miami's pretty deep at tight end this year, so not necessarily a big concern on that side of things. So, uh, I mean, good luck to him wherever he goes, though. All right, and our last bit of portal news here is North Dakota State linebacker Jabril Cox is entering the transfer portal as a grad transfer. Uh, he's a two-time All-American Missouri Valley Defensive Player of the Year as a sophomore in 2018, league's uh, freshman and newcomer of the year as a redshirt freshman uh, with 258 tackles, 32 tackles for a loss, 14 sacks, 16 picks, and two touchdowns in his career. Um so 45 different programs immediately followed him on Twitter by the end of the same day as he entered the portal. Uh, and he's projected to be one of the uh, top 2021 draft prospects out of the FCS. Um, the only school you so guys far, can tell I, I wrote that and intern Gibble was very clearly reading directly line from line from a script. He exactly. was projected to be uh, one of the top FCS uh, prospects in next year's draft, but will obviously now be uh, playing major college football for a team that's probably slightly better than North Dakota State, if I had to guess. Just a bit. Yeah. The, yeah. the only team that I saw his name pop up for so far uh, was LSU, but I did not look into that one too much more. Obviously, because um, you just learned about it half an hour ago. Yeah, it wasn't even on your sheet. Yep. <laughs> so well, I read it, but I didn't add it. So that was my bad. <laughs> yeah, this is uh this will be a big gift for whoever LSU will obviously be a name with Bo Pelini, who was coaching in the FCS with Youngstown State, um, having at least some familiarity with him. Uh, they obviously need linebackers down there. They've they've lost a lot of talent, uh, especially at that position, uh, with Patrick Queen and uh, Jacob Phillips going to. The NFL. Um, we'll see. Kansas State will obviously be one team um, that will certainly uh, strike some interest with uh, Chris Kleiman there, uh, the former North Dakota State head coach. Uh, but yeah, I mean, pretty much every pro- program that's got an available spot has um, interest. Probably he's definitely got his choice of where to go to. It's. Uh, probably the biggest name in the portal at this point i'd imagine uh in terms of um who's gonna go get him uh so he'll really have uh his choice of where he wants to end up going um and it's a transfer he's a quarterback coming out of high school (laughs) it's amazing um and i mean in terms of the transfer portal you can never count miami out who has one spot still available uh you never know transfer at some point so transfer king manny diaz here's another one because we need linebacker depth pretty badly Um, transfer you so yeah yep (laughs) i mean it would be kind of crazy if they got Derek king quincy roche uh the kicker i'm forgetting his name and then uh Don't forget Jalen Phillips is going to play this year. Dude, he looks like a monster right now. He put on like 50 pounds of muscle since since he came a year ago. He's He's got a lot of hype, so this is the year where it's going to be a big make or break for him. It will be. Uh, And he'll, I would guess, probably end up being more of a rotational guy at first, at least, with, you know, Rousseau and Roche uh, 
off the edge as well. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, you add him in there, you add a couple more guys. But yeah, uh, that's another team to keep an eye on. But yeah, I mean, everybody's going to be going after this kid, and rightfully so. So uh, we'll keep you guys updated on that. All right. Well, that wraps up our news for this week. All righty. Jake, why don't you go ahead with our advertisement? Yeah, so as many of you know, uh, we have partnered with Smack Apparel. And coming up here in the near future, we are going to be doing a March Madness uh, giveaway. So we're going to probably give away two, maybe three shirts, seeing how many people we get to do our March Madness pool with us. But be on the lookout for that, and we would love to get a couple of you some Smack Apparel shirts. Because Smack Apparel is the leading unlicensed pro and college sports apparel company in the United States. For over 20 years, Smack has designed some of those iconic and memorable rivalry gear in the sports world. From the anti-hurricane sex view and to the Nationals' Bryceless design, you're guaranteed to get a compliment at your next tailgate. Unlike licensed sports apparel, Smack doesn't need approval from teams, organizations. They help create the designs and illustrate how diehard fans are feeling. So if you're tired of wearing a basic logo or generic jersey for your team, check out smackapparel.com and use promo code WALKON, one word, WALKON, for 20% off your next order. And be on the lookout for our March Madness giveaway here soon. All right, fantastic. So we're going to wrap up. Um our top five top tens here uh with upsets greatest upsets in college football history um i think we'll just do it in a roundabout way five we'll each do five then four then three then two then one um i will send it over to intern gibble to get us started with his number five then jake i'll let you go and then i'll wrap up uh my number five and then uh, back to where we went. So we'll do it that way. Um, and Gib will go ahead with your number five. All right. My number five is the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Boise State beating Oklahoma 43-42. to um, Oklahoma is a – there was a seven-point favorite going into the game, and everyone pretty much expected them to walk in and out without a problem. But uh, after Boise State took a – 28 to 10 lead. Uh, Oklahoma kind of scored. They scored 25 un- unanswered. Uh, came back and after it went into overtime, uh, Boise State came out with the victory. Same. So, my number five is 1998 Temple versus Virginia Tech. Gibble, you know about this one? I actually do. It's on came list. up in your research. <laughs> oh, really? It's on my list. <laughs> oh wow. Oh wow. Yeah. So 1998 Temple was 1 and 6. They were 0 and 26 in the Big East on the road. Virginia Tech jumped out to a 17 point lead. Virginia Tech was actually a 35 point favorite. They were ranked 14th at the time. And Temple was 1 and 6. Temple ended up winning that game. It was their first ranked win since 1987, so 11 years prior. Temple was starting 10 new players that day, including a true freshman at quarterback named Devin Scott. Uh, And Virginia Tech had the fourth best defense at the time. So Temple was obviously very bad in the 90s and the early 2000s and a 35-point favorite, and they end up winning on the road in Blacksburg by four points. This feels like it kind of fit Virginia Tech's MO, seeing as they've lost to random teams like Old Dominion and James Madison and... You know, Temple in 1998. All right. Uh, 
my number five is also the uh, 2007 Fiesta Bowl, Boise State upsetting Oklahoma 43-42. Gibble touched on it pretty well. Uh, but really opened the doors for college football. And, I mean, obviously a few years before that we had Utah beating Pitt, but Pitt not being such a national power as Oklahoma is, uh, didn't have as big of a uh, – going into – uh, the future of college football there, but uh, Boise State upsetting Oklahoma number five for me, uh, and just kind of changed the landscape of college football going forward. All right, well, my number four is the game Jake just talked about. So Temple Virginia Tech, um, Temple winless coming into the game, uh, about to face the number five team in the country as a thirty-five and a half point dog. They even trailed seventeen nothing at the end of the first half, and then came back to win so that's kind of a massive update part of my qualifications on these upsets was uh the point spreads obviously the festival was not a huge spread uh but it was still a big big upset so that's why it was in there but yeah that's my my number four is also the temple virginia tech game Okay, so my number four game was the Boise State-Oklahoma game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to touch on it too much because you guys both did. But I mean, We all been... knew it was going to be on all of our lists. Yeah. It point, had to so. be. It was one of the most incredible games. You know, Boise State, you know, you want to talk about David versus Goliath. You know, especially the way they pulled it off with the hook and ladder, the Statue of Liberty play. Um, you know, it wasn't just a group of five team winning like we've seen in the past couple of years, you know, UCF or Utah when they were winning, you know, just the fashion that they wanted and made it just that much better. All right. My number four, I have Pitt upsetting West Virginia, uh, West Virginia 13 to nine in 2007, the backyard brawl, West Virginia on the cusp of going to a national champ, potentially winning a national championship, um, ending up losing in their final regular season game to a better rival, uh, a few missed kicks from our guy, Pat McAfee, uh, unfortunately, um, hindered West Virginia's chances there. Pitt ends up getting the big win. Pitt wasn't particularly good that season either. West Virginia loses a chance at a national title game. Um, so that's my number four. All right. My number three is the 2007 Stanford-USC game. Uh, so Stanford came in, like, pretty terrible that year. Um, they the, – I think this was, this was Jim Harbaugh's first season uh, as the coach – and Stanford was a 40-and-a-half-point dog in the game. Uh, they were awful. Think, yeah, they were awful. They went 1-11 in, in 2006, um, facing, depending where you look, USC was number one or number two. Uh, they forced five turnovers on USC, um, and eventually Tavita Pritchard threw a 10-yard pass to Mark Bradford with less than a minute left to give Stanford the, the win. Uh, they ended up winning that game 24-23. to 23. So that is my number three. My number three is from 2002 season, 2003 year, January 3rd, 2003. It is the beautiful, beautiful Fiesta Bowl. And this is where Folsom's going to log off. <laughs> Ohio State beating Miami. Uh, when you look back, this was 
when you people were going into this game, everybody was you know discussing you know Ohio State shouldn't even show up. Miami's one of the best teams of the last you know ten years, and Ohio State comes in and they win the game in double overtime, perfectly clean, no incidents whatsoever. It was a great game, um, but. The reason I had it on here for biggest upsets is just because when you look back of who Ohio State don't have on that team compared to who had Miami had on that team, Miami had a lot of guys that ended up playing in the NFL. Ohio State's most prominent guys that played in the NFL were there were like Chris Gamble and Michael Jenkins, who were fine NFL players, but nobody that was you know potentially Hall of Fame worthy. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, <laughs> Miami had four deep on running backs that Frank Gore was injured that year and like. Uh, Najee Davenport's the backup, and Willis McGahee's the starting running back, and I'm sure there was at least one or one or two other running backs that were in there as well. Uh, plenty of guys that you know ended up being you know, potential All Pro players in there. I mean, <laughs> your running back on that team could have probably been an All Pro if he wasn't a jackass at that time. Fair, hundred percent fair. And Let's Craig not talk Krenzel, about him. We, can we not forget that he was drafted and I believe played some preseason games with the Chicago Bears? Fun fact, real quick. So I was at a conference a couple weeks ago and Craig Krenzel oh, was the keynote speaker. And he started talking about his time with the Bears because he started a Sunday night football game for them in the regular season. I, could, I couldn't remember if he actually got a regular season playing. I remember having his rookie card with the Bears and that's how I remember that. But... He yeah, talked about uh, how, like, in college it was so much different because the NFL, he was walking out, he's like, whoa, these dudes are really big. Oh, wow, okay, um, where are we? Oh, we're in Soldier Field. And then he look up, and there's, like, five seconds left on the play clock, and he goes, oh, never mind, timeout. Meanwhile, at Ohio State, he would look around and be like, all right, I got Mike there, all right, Maurice is right here, all right, this is what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. And they'd hike it with, like, eight seconds left on the clock. And then the NFL was just, he almost just, like, lost it. It was, like, overwhelming for him. All right. Well, yeah. Well, that loss was overwhelming for me. So, <laughs> uh, number three too? for me. Uh, no, it didn't actually. Uh, surprisingly, uh, no. But we're gonna continue the trend. Uh, all minor threaded together a little bit here. Uh, we're gonna do Navy upsetting Notre Dame forty six forty four. This was also from the two thousand seven season. Uh, this one's prominent. What's that? Is everything from 2007? Yes. <laughs> the year, not the season. Because when I saw the Boise State one was still that year, I was like, yes, this works perfectly. <laughs> uh, just the season beforehand. Um, but yeah, Navy upsetting Notre Dame 46-44. It ended a 43-game losing streak against Notre Dame for Navy. Uh, Big-time upset. I think the game went to triple overtime. Uh, Paul Johnson's triple option. Uh, upsetting an Notre Dame team that wasn't particularly great, but 43-game losing streak to a team, uh, which is record-setting, uh, is pretty incredible. So uh, that's my number three here. All right, my number two is the game Jake just talked about again, that 2003 Fiesta Bowl. At least I didn't put number two. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I can't believe I guess had a number one. I mean, no, there's well, a better game we to put at number one. We well, we all have the same number one, so whatever. Just yeah, probably. keep going. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Jake already said all that needs to be said about that game. Uh, Ohio State did come into the po- the the game as an eleven and a half point dog too. It was eleven so, and a half. 
Uh, yeah, according wow. to Bleacher Report, eleven and a half. So the fact that they won is even more incredible. <laughs> I, w- I would have thought it was like seven or eight points, not eleven. Yeah, for a national championship, that's a lot of points. I mean, I just I can't call something an upset when the the refs rig the game. I mean, that just that's. <laughs> I know I can't believe they didn't call a, that holding against uh, Chris that's Gamble. Mob, that, that's mob mentality. You just can't do that. <laughs> I can't um, believe they didn't call the holding that was against Michael Jenkins. That would have given him the first down. We didn't even need to go to overtime. Oh, that didn't happen. <laughs> they just wanted everybody to stay up till one o'clock in the morning. Can't throw a flag thirty seconds after a play ends. Like, keep going. Sure you can. Keep that. Keep going. That's all I got. <laughs> My number two is I think uh, Folsom. You already touched on it. The Pitt West Virginia game from two thousand seven. This one was huge because I think this changed the course of West Virginia for the next ten years or so. Because if West Virginia beats Pitt, and because West Virginia was loaded that year with Steve Slayton and Pat White, and they were just unstoppable. If they win that game, that changes the course of West Virginia forever because, you know, then they go and they play a national championship game against a good Ohio State team, but not like the one that was the year before. You know, Todd Beckman was the quarterback, a game that they easily could have came out and won. And then West Virginia is a national champion. Rich Rod is not leaving to go to Michigan. They're not hiring. Who did they even hire between him and Dana Holgerson? I forget who was even the head coach after uh, Rich Rod. You know, Michigan's not hiring Rich Rod. Michigan's now going down another path. Maybe Michigan doesn't, you know, go into a hole with Rich Rod. Maybe West Virginia keeps it going because now they have momentum. They're a national champion. It just changed the entire outlook for a couple teams. And if they had won, West Virginia, you know, you never know where they're going to end up then. Maybe West Virginia doesn't go to the Big 12. Maybe they go to the ACC. Maybe they're able to keep the Big East together because now they have a national championship. So I think there's a lot of what-ifs that would have happened if West Virginia had won that game and not Pitt. All right. Uh, my number two, um, get what you touched on it a bit ago, but I have Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State and no, Stanford upsetting USC, also the year 2007, uh, 24-23. USC's uh, still going at this point in their Pete Carroll run of dominance, like Gimble said, one or two in the country, depending on where you looked. Stanford, the Stanford you know nowadays was not that at this point. Uh, they were garbage every season, pretty much. Uh, you know, strictly an academic school for the most part, uh, consistently bottom tier of the pack pack 10 at the time um and in, it's a huge upset not only because of that uh the 40 and a half point spread i don't think you'll ever necessarily see matched in terms of two fbs programs or at least power five programs uh going against each other in an upset of that magnitude in terms of point spread um the game also was in la it was a usc game um, and also Stanford had a backup quarterback, uh, Tavita Pritchard, uh, Gibble, learn your t- how to say names correctly. No, you were like Prit- Pritchard or something like that. Yeah, you, you definitely you didn't say it, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably didn't. uh, but yeah, they were using a backup quarterback in the game and Tavita Pritchard, uh, throwing in a late touchdown. They were also down 23 to 14 before rallying and scoring the last 10 points of that game to win. Uh, it would eventually start 
essentially started crumbling that Pete Carroll uh, era. He would go to Seattle. Jim Harbaugh, obviously everybody knows, uh, stayed at Stanford another year or two, uh, ends up going to the San Francisco 49ers and now the Michigan Wolverines. So uh, a lot of transformation in that game too. You saw the end, the, the crumbling of the USC structure as a, a top team, Stanford becoming a, a real power uh, for the next decade or so in, in the Pac-12 and two head coaches that have had varying levels of success going forward as well uh, and also a bit of a rivalry against each other uh, going forward not necessarily the the best of friends so uh, that is number two for me all right all together one, now app state michigan <laughs> am i wrong ah shit i had <laughs> illinois ohio state 2007 Shut oh, up, bastard! <laughs> <laughs> we don't mention Juice Williams in this household. Uh, Juice Williams, <laughs> man, what a guy! What a guy! Him uh, and Richard Mendenhall can all-time random college football player with Juice Williams. What a what a season that guy had! Uh, Rose Bowl birth, all that stuff. Richard Mendenhall, yeah, had like one good NFL season. <laughs> Retired at like twenty six. Uh, but yeah, I think we all have Appalachian State, Michigan here. <laughs> yep, probably thirty-three point underdog going into the game. Won it on the blocked field goal. They got paid four hundred thousand dollars to get thrashed, but said, "Nah, we want to win." So they did that. This Great. was yeah. really the rise of Appalachian State because they had been really good in the FCS, but you know, at that point, with media and how it worked. Not as many people realized how good Appalachian State was, and Armani Edwards, you know, really put that team on his back that day. And a lot of people didn't really realize where Appalachian State was. You know, before that, you would have said, "What state is Appalachian State?" And I don't know, somewhere in the southeast, somewhere. And this helped propel them to becoming an FBS team, and they were ranked last year. You know, 10 years later, they're now ranked in the top 25. And that program is just continuing to grow and grow and grow. And we're at the point where if conference expansion happens again, it wouldn't shock me if somebody decided to go after Appalachian State because they're in the Sun Belt. They're doing very well. They're just continuing to grow. They have some pretty loyal fans. You know, they beat uh, South Carolina this past year. Yeah, that's true. Well, they also, I think, beat North Carolina too. Um, oh yeah, so. they beat. They're the they're the best team in the Carolinas. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. I, well, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that other um, one. Might forgot about the one without the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a particular other one that's been like four national title games in the last couple of years. But yeah, um, yeah, I know that, that it, it launched them uh, into a, a national spotlight. Uh, I can still vividly remember where I was watching the game, too, when it happened. Um, And, yeah, like, nobody really knew, like... it's like a couple of years ago when North Dakota State beat Iowa. Uh, Iowa was ranked. Uh, but North Dakota State at the same time, just like Appalachian State then, you know, a, a power in the FCS, a dominant team. I think Armani Edwards had won, like, two, ended up winning, like, two of the... Uh, FCS, like Heisman Trophy, essentially, uh, in his career there. 
Um, so a talented team, yeah. But still, you know, at the time you're going to the big house, you're facing, you know, a team like Michigan that's like number five overall. Obviously, you don't want to put a ton of stock in the preseason rankings, but uh, Michigan had went like twelve and they went eleven and one the regular season the year before. So you expected them to be good again. Yeah, especially you know they you know have Chad Henney there, Mike Hart, uh, Manningham, all those guys. Um, a lot of really good talent on that Michigan team, uh, and to get upset there, uh, not only that, but you get to go for the field goal and you get it blocked for the last play of the game um, to, to to really end that um, is huge. Uh, and obviously, it's hard to say. You know, maybe if this was another team that wasn't a, a national name like Michigan, uh, maybe it doesn't have the resonance. Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, we could throw James Madison beating Virginia Tech in here from 2010, uh, which was the second time ever that an FCS team had beaten a top 25 uh, opponent. Uh, but nobody really remembers that game because, no offense to Virginia Tech, but they're not a historical power of a program. So you don't necessarily think about that one when it comes to upsets uh, where you do App, App State. And like you mentioned, like it, it really sprung forth that program even if they don't go to wouldn't go to a power five i could see them you know they'd be great in like the american conference um or something like that especially being in the north carolina area um get them out of the Sun Belt. i mean they they got up to division or not division one but the fbs and you know eventually now as soon as they got there they were dominating the Sun Belt, which is a strong conference but still um, and it spiraled Michigan for years. And I mean, now Michigan's, you know, a top 25 team every year, but still, I mean, that, that pretty much broke Michigan down from being, you know, a top 10 team every single season, uh, and, and pretty good. So, um, a lot of effects there. Uh, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. It was uh, almost the downfall of Michigan because it sent them into a panic of like, maybe Lloyd Carr is not the right guy anymore. And then. You know, they fluttered around with Rich Rod and Brady Hope before they were finally able to get Jim Harbaugh. And then, you know, it's been a, it was a mess for almost 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, two drastically different uh, sides. And obviously, like, I know I picked my entire list based off ones I've seen in my lifetime. They were all, yes, in the same year. Uh, obviously, the year before, uh, the season before, I should say, uh, Boise State, Oklahoma really set things in motion for what was going to happen in 2007. But in terms of that season, this also kicked off an entire year of just zaniness uh, and um, so many huge upsets. There was other ones I could have thrown in here, uh, too, I mean, from, from that season alone. But uh, big gear. I uh, don't really have a ton of notable ones I wanted to throw out outside of that. I like I said, I, I picked for mine like ones that I remember watching uh, because, I mean, there's great upsets before my time, but like if I didn't get to sit and watch them or anything like that, I you know don't necessarily feel the effect from them and I don't feel genuine throwing that on my list. Uh, in terms of stuff like you know I could have thrown like Miami Nebraska the 1984 Orange Bowl in there, which two different programs from two completely different directions, you know, years before that. Um, and the, the change it had on the landscape of college football, uh, obviously like you guys mentioned 2003 Fiesta Bowl, obviously not going to be on my list, but I understand why it is on you guys' list. Um, and there's plenty of other ones you could kind of throw in there too, but, um, 
The only other two I wanted to mention was... So both of the... In the last 25 years, Michigan State and Ohio State, 1998, Ohio State was one of the best teams in the country, and Michigan State with Nick Saban came into Columbus and beat them. And if Ohio State didn't lose that game, there's a very good chance they're playing for a national championship that year. Um, The other one is the 2015 game when Ohio State's returning national champions couldn't figure out who their quarterback was, but, you know, they had Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas and, you know, Joey Bosa and all sorts of first-rounders loaded all over that team. And Michigan State comes into Columbus with a backup quarterback, and, of course, they hit the windmill. The kicker hits the kick and does the windmill the whole way down the field. Um, And then the other one was from 2003. Kansas State beats number one Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma still goes to the national championship game. Um, but that was the Darren Sproles Kansas State team with Bill Snyder, and uh, Oklahoma had the Heisman Trophy winner Jason White. Yeah, and I, if memory serves me correct, Kansas State like whooped up too in that game. It was they? probably like two or three touchdowns if I remember right. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, another one. Obviously, I have to mention throwing out spreads and stuff like that. Obviously, the largest one from a few years ago, UNLV and Howard, uh, which. A lot of people won't necessarily know of or think of, uh, and that's why I didn't really make my list. But uh, the line was so big that Vegas actually didn't offer it, but Offshore Books uh, had it at 45 and a half uh, point favorites for UNLV, who isn't a big name, but also Howard. Very clearly not an FCS power, a, a very lowly FCS team. Uh, traveled cross country to UNLV. Uh, and beat him at home um, with Cam Newton's uh, little brother, which I don't think anybody that has, if your football team at quarterback has somebody who has blood relation to Cam Newton, I probably am not setting them at 45 and a half points. So uh, any other uh, honorable mentions there, Gibble? Yeah, you actually took the the Howard one uh, mostly because it was that forty five and a half point spread. That's just ridiculous. Um, the other one got a shout out the Ivy League Center College over Harvard in nineteen twenty one. Have no clue what happened in the game, but Center College won six to nothing. And according to Bleacher Report, it is a the second biggest upset of all time. So those are my two honorable mentions. <laughs> All right, so we'll be back in two weeks for another episode. Um, and then we'll also, that in two weeks when we start that one, we'll start off building our all-time college football team. We'll have 35 total players uh, drafted. It will take us up until June, I believe, uh, is when we will be finalizing those, and then we'll figure out something to get you guys to our preview episodes starting in July. Um and we'll kind of break things down. We'll post it on the Twitter on how that's going to work. Uh, so keep up with that. Um, and we'll see you guys next, or not next week, but two weeks from now for another episode. And thanks for hanging with us. See ya.